Oh, praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. A very dear friend of mine, Brother Jess Parker, pastors in LaGrand, Oregon. Every service, when he steps to the pulpit, he says, Everybody happy? And everybody responds, they say, happy. He says, well, if you're not, this is a good place to get happy. You get your head on straight in the church house. He says at every service, a lot of times I think we miss the mark. Coming to church is something to get happy about. Amen. This is where our life got straightened out. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give honor to the pastor tonight. Thank you, Brother Merritt, for allowing us to be here. And I'll just be honest with you, I'm delighted uh, to be in the top five. Can't do too bad when you're up there, I'm telling you. Amen. So I am in the elite group. Praise God. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Thank you to this church for all that you're doing for the cause of revival. Thank you for your worship tonight. Amen. Thank you for coming into church with your mind on the Lord. Thank you. It makes a difference. Amen. It makes a difference. I appreciate you putting forth the effort. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, sometimes it seems like we as preachers, we're always setting the bar higher and higher and higher. It's because we want to achieve more and go more but if we're not careful sometimes it may in moving the bar perhaps even more rapidly than uh, the church is is prepared for it can almost create a sense of well <laughs> so much for nothing i mean i did my best and it seemed like that wasn't good enough and that's not what's happening around here the preacher isn't isn't, he's, not, uh, he's not happy with what you're doing. It's just like Paul said, I've learned to be con uh, content but not satisfied. And we, we need not be satisfied. And, and you know and as well as I know, if there's not an employer, if there's not a manager, if there's not a supervisor somewhere standing over us throughout the course of our employment life, and prodding us every once in a while and spurring us on every once in a while we will grow stagnant in our performance and the same goes for a preacher amen every once in a while he's got to get out the prod if you please and say come on church we can do a little more to wake us up to stir us to cause us to hunger for that thing that's greater and more in god and that's what's happening around here there's some people beginning to stir the nest a little bit there's some people beginning to say wait a minute Wait a minute, devil, I can come to the house of God and I can have a move of the Holy Ghost. Wait a minute, devil, it's not hard to raise my hands. Wait a minute, devil, it's not a chore for me to praise God. It's a privilege. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. So glad to have our guest here tonight. Thank you so very much for being here. We're honored that you have come to be with us. Amen. Luke, the 11th chapter. Luke chapter 11.
Luke chapter 11 and verse 5 and he said unto them which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me and I have nothing to set before him and he from within shall answer and say trouble me not the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed I cannot rise and give thee I say unto you though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Praise the Lord. Turn a few pages to Luke 18 and verse 5. And he spake a parable. I mean, Luke 18, verse 1, I'm sorry. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. Yet, because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Praise the Lord. You may be seated tonight. Thank you for standing for the reading of the Word. Luke 18 and Luke chapter 11. Luke, the great physician, he took uh, extreme care in recording details, very precise, very articulate, and every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has its own personality. Because it is crafted by the author. 
we know the supreme author was Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost flowed through mankind. And they began to pen the words to their Gospels. Matthew, and then Mark, and Luke, and John. Matthew is, is a guy about numbers. He was a tax collector. He, he, kept, he kept extreme records. He was an IRS guy. And so he, if you want to know about uh, uh, stories that involve multitudes and numbers and what have you, and you want to know about all of that, go to Matthew. He's going to tell you about the numbers. Amen. And other people may say there was a crowd, but Matthew's going to try to tell you how many people was in that crowd. Because he's interested in numbers. And then there's Mark, and uh, Mark is kind of like me. <laughs> he was always in the trouble. He always seemed to uh, go against the grain a little bit in his own life. And so when he began to record the things of God, he began to write stories that uh, showed God getting in trouble. You know, he, you want to find out when, when he angered the Pharisees and when he angered the Sadducees and when he performed things on the Sabbath and broke the laws and, you know, and seemed to kind of disrupt the, the normal lifestyle. Go to Mark. He'll tell you all about it because it kind of fit within his lifestyle. He, he was kind of one of those guys that was always uh, uh, upset in the apple cart, if you please. And Luke was a great physician. You want to find out about somebody being healed? Uh, go to Luke. He'll tell you all about it and so, so forth and so on. And John... Uh, he was a he was a great beloved, and there is a a very very beautiful story that he portrays to us about the love of God in his book, and so and so in Luke's writing, he writes a lot about the physical. He writes a lot about healings. He writes a lot about miracles, and and then he records two different parables, two different teachings that the Lord did in in uh, Luke the eleventh chapter. And then in Luke 18 chapter, these are not repeat sermons. These were two different messages that God taught. And both of them were on the, a common subject. It was the subject of prayer. Luke uh, begins in, in chapter 11 and it said, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased uh, his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to know how to pray. How do we pray, God? How can we get into that place of communication with the divine supreme God? We want to go beyond just simply reciting words. We want to go beyond just uh, uh, memorizing catchy little phrases. But God teach us how to pray. I want to know how to get into your presence. I want to know how to pray and get answers. Amen. 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 And so he begins to tell them. He says, uh, we quote it so many times and he, he teaches there and we call it the Lord's Prayer. And he, he talks about it, Matthew and Luke and the different ones that got different versions, but they basically all the same thing. Our Heavenly Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It started out with praise. 
Our Heavenly Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Worthy is your name. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And after that, he goes on to say, Thy kingdom come. In other words, this, ain't, this prayer is not about me, God. I'm not praying for me. I'm praying for your will to be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And while you're at it, give us this day our daily bread. We're not asking for tomorrow. We're not asking for a surplus. We're just asking for the very minute needs of today. But I'm not praying that you will flood me with a surplus of blessing. I just want you to help me make it from one day to the next. Because this has never been about me. It never will be about me. It's always been about you. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. There is a contingency upon forgiveness. And we don't have time to get into it tonight. We'll teach it sometime other later. But, but forgiveness comes with a price tag. It's not just a blanket statement. Oh, God forgive me. There's some requirements to forgiveness. And so, and so he said, forgive us of our, of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation... But deliver us from evil. And then he goes right back. Okay, there's three little phrases about us. And the whole rest of the prayer is all about him. And then he says, He says, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and leave us not into temptation as we, and, and, and so forth and so on. And then, and then he goes and he says, For all power and glory and praise and all this is yours. He, he, he ends with praise. He goes right back into praise again. Why? And so that's what God told him how to pray. He told him this is how you pray. When you pray, you pray on this wise. You start out with praise. You pray for my will. You ask for your daily provision. You ask for forgiveness contingent upon you being willing to forgive. And then you praise me some more. And you say, well, well, I don't know about all that. And so then, and then maybe they didn't quite grasp it. Maybe they just said, you know, God, come on, there's got to be more to prayer than that. And so then he said, well, let me tell you a little story. And he said unto them, which of you have a friend? In those days, the family all slept in one big open room, and there was just, just bedrolls here and there, and kids and parents, and then... And then from what I understand, all underneath the house, it was kind of house. And then they would have quarters there for their animals and their possessions here and what have you. And, and, so, and so in order for a man to come to the door, he had to get up in the dark. He had to try to step over his family members that were all laid out sleeping there without disturbing them. And then he had to go down through the quarters where the, all the animals were. And everybody knows... If you get animals moving and around at night, you got a mess on your hands and you got problems and they're just, and all that racket's gonna disturb everybody sleeping. It's all that's gonna happen. He said, and which of you have a friend 
that comes to you at midnight. Now this is a late hour. This is not the ordinary time for visitation. This is not the convenient season uh, to come and ask for something. But he comes uh, and he knocks on your door. And maybe you roll over to the window. Maybe your maybe your your window's right above the door, and so you just you just cry out to him and say, "Look, uh, uh, look! Well, I don't know what you need, but but uh, uh, everybody's already asleep. It's uh, it's it's late. Do you know what time it is? Come on, man, get away! Uh, uh, quit knocking on my door. You're gonna disturb the whole household." And and he says, uh, "But I've got a problem. I've got a need. I've got a situation. I uh, I got a friend that come on his journey, and and he's hungry, and and I don't have any." Thing to give him, and so I'm coming to you to ask for something. And he said, even though they're close friends, just because he's got a need doesn't mean he gets the answer. Just because he's friends with him doesn't mean that the guy's gonna say, Oh, yeah, we buddies, all right, I'll get up, no big deal. He said, That that don't necessarily mean you're gonna get the answer. He said, matter of fact, he's not going to rise and give him that just because he's his friend. He said, but do you want to know how he's going to get what he needs? He's just going to keep knocking. Friend or no friend, I got a need. Friend or no friend, sleepy, grumpy, it don't matter. You can take the possibility or the chance in your hand of tiptoeing down through the house and not disturbing the whole multitude and get me some bread or I'm going to stand here and I'm going to bang on this door and I don't care who I disturb. I don't care who I wake up. I don't care what kind of ruckus I cause because I've got a need and you've got what I have and I need for. You've got the answer that I'm looking for. Why would God tie this parable with how to pray? And then so, and so he, he goes on and he concludes, concludes the chapter 11. And then a few pages over, Jesus is teaching again. And maybe, uh, maybe there were some people there, they're not getting it. They don't understand it. You see, uh, Jesus ha- had to use uh, uh, redundancy, if you please, because people are people. We don't all just get on the board, uh, on the boat at the same time. Some of us just, uh, you know, we, we kind of step back and we look, wait a minute, <laughs> uh, let's analyze this a little bit. My, my dad is a, is a, is a dynamic a carpenter. He, he, he was a, in carpentry for years and he was a contractor and built many houses and, and uh, his specialty is finish, finish work and he just, I mean, he's just precise and precision and, and uh, he, he doesn't have a high school degree and he education he, he he was a high school dropout matter of fact the only thing he never made it maybe ninth grade and he just went to work and he's worked his way and worked his way and and uh, uh you, you give him you give him a, a, an idea what you want he can draw you blueprints and he can figure your lumber all the way down and when he gets through you're not going to have very many scraps left at all because he, he figures it all out and he he orders the material he gets everything ready for the job nobody has to wait on anything it's there 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 
and uh, and so and, but he's got a cousin and he also is about the same age and and uh, uh, he, he is also a carpenter and he's he's a great carpenter a tremendous carpenter but but the the two differences is 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 uh, my dad my dad will have all the figuring done on the off time you know like when you go home at night and you're doing nothing else he'll sit down and figure the job he'll get everything ready then whereas my co- his cousin uh, he, he wants to sit on the job and start figuring. And so, and so one day they were building a house, and my daddy was, was building his house, and he had his cousin working for him. And, and uh, so my dad had to go get some things or whatever for the project, and, and when he came back, he, he, there wasn't nothing done. There was nothing done on the house. Everything was just the way it was when they left. And so, and so my daddy said, well, what in the world? What's going on? You know, he kind of getting up a little sad. Just, he's paying this guy a good amount of money, you know. The carpenter makes good money. And, and so he, he's paying him so much money an hour. And, 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 and they find him. He's over there behind some cabinets sitting down on the floor. And he's got him a few pieces, little cut-off two-by-fours. And oh, they all rolled over. And, and he's got his pencil out. And he's figuring. And... Uh, my dad said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm figuring the job. He said, he said, I'm hired you to do carpenter work, not to figure. I'll do the figuring. You do the work. And see, a lot of times we, we don't understand where our element is, what we're supposed to be doing. And we get, we get in the place of God sometimes. Instead of coming to God with our prayer, doing what He told us to do. If we're not careful, we're going to start trying to answer that prayer. We're going to sit down on our little crate somewhere and we're going to get our pencil out. And we're going to figure out how it's got to be done. And God no doubt looks over our shoulder and says, Look, all I want you to do is start out with praise. Pray about my will and praise me for it to come. And leave all the details to me. Quit trying to figure out how it's all going to work. See, there's a lot of times people come to the house of God and their life is in total chaos. Everything in their world is upside down and they feel God tugging on them. They feel God drawing them and God's dealing with them and He's trying to get them to make a move and turn to Him. Uh, but, but, but they can't surrender to God because they got to try to figure out, uh, well, if I, if I live for God now, then I, I don't know how I'm going to handle that situation and I don't know how I'm going to handle that situation. We were in revival and, and, uh, we had this guy coming and, and uh, and uh, he, he said, uh, he said, uh, several rows back. And anyway, uh, he was there. And and uh, one one Sunday, he came to the pastor. He said, "I want to take you and your family and evangelist his family out to eat today." And so the pastor said, "Okay." And so we all go to a Chinese restaurant, and and we're there. And and I'm sitting right across the table from him. And and I asked him, I said, "Hey, brother," I said, "When are you gonna get the Holy Ghost?" He said, "Well." You don't understand. He said, see, I ain't always been a going to church. He said, I, I was a, well, he said, I don't want to say everything. He said, but, but I used to make dope. And he said, I got reported to the law. And he said, Tuesday, my trial comes up Tuesday. He said, and I can't get the Holy Ghost. Until after the trial. Because I'm going to have to lie. And this is God's honest truth. This is what he told me. 
He said, I can't get the Holy Ghost until after the trial because if I do, I won't be able to lie. And if I ain't able to lie, then I'm going to go to jail. And you know, I told him, I looked at him, I said, hey, brother, if you'll get the Holy Ghost, you ain't got to worry about that trial. I said, God will take care of that. I said, but if you keep trying to fix it, you're going to get a mess on your hands. We came back to church that Sunday night. And they were singing a song and man, people were worshiping. And I looked back and there come this man, both arms raised in the air. Right down the aisle. He only made it about three rows and he started talking in tongues. He came all the way around the front, brother. He shouted all over the place. You know what happened? Uh, he went to court on Tuesday. The judge said, I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it this time. Uh, you won't serve any jail time. Uh, I'm just going to put you on probation. Uh, you still get to go to church. Uh, you still get to do everything else you've always done, uh, but you don't have to worry about anything. Uh, i got news for you. When we just put it in God's hands, uh, when we just put it in God's hands, uh, everything will work out. And so evidently the people in the congregation were having problems grasping this fact. And so in, in Luke the 18th chapter, he begins again to teach them how to pray. He said, I want to instruct you on how to pray. You, you, you're evidently not getting it. You're, you're not figuring it out. You just got to keep on keeping on. If it don't happen right now, just keep on keeping on. Well, so, well, I prayed and God didn't do anything. And so, well, you know, well, I might as well just give up. No, 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 no. You missed the whole point. You missed the whole point. Your girlfriend ain't here tonight. So I can pick on you a little bit. Is she your first girlfriend? She's not your first girlfriend. Well, it don't matter. She's not his first. You know what? He found out the first one wasn't right. So did you say, well, I, you know, well, bless God, I went out with a girl and it just didn't work out, so I'm going to be an old bachelor. He said, no, sir. Hey, just because one's got problems don't mean all of them's got problems. He said, I'm going to go shopping for another one. And he did. And he's about bought him a wife. You won't never get that debt paid off, but everything will be all right. I never understood it on our wedding day why my father-in-law's face was shining so bright. Later on, he told me, he said, man, I was glad to give you that debt. And so every once in a while we'll go to the house and he'd give me a good check. <laughs> he said, it's a hippie on your way. <laughs> I got a good father-in-law. <laughs> I went, I mean, every time I go see him, he gives me money. I told him, I said, we need to go see him every week. Because <laughs> he gave me good money. <laughs> he knows, he knows all about it. Hey, brother, I don't know what you're laughing about. It's going to get you too. Wherefore, being compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Amen. 
And so, and so he didn't just give up and say, well, you know what, I might as well just grow old and live by myself. No, he said, I'm going to go get me another girlfriend. I'm going to find me a wife. And once you get married, there ain't no trading in at that point. <laughs> see, you're stuck at that point. But, but once you get there, see, but, and, and, and if you're going to swap and switch and all that, you better do it before you get married. Because once you get married, there ain't no switching and swapping. Y'all act like y'all got a regular little trade market going on around here or something. <laughs> well, who'll give me a train? <laughs> y'all bartering them off? No, he said, I'm going to go find another one. You know, when you get fired from a job, you know, you lose your job. Company goes out of business. Well, bless God. <laughs> I guess it wasn't meant for me to have a job. I'm going to go let old Obama give me a bailout. No, you know what you do? You get up and go get another job. That's what you do. Uh, your house burned. Well, I guess God wanted me to be homeless. Your car break down. Well, I guess it's the will of God for me to just walk everywhere I go. We don't use that excuse in anything else but prayer. We pray about something and it don't happen immediately. And we immediately say, well, I guess it just wasn't the will of God. I guess it just wasn't supposed to be. It just wasn't our time. Come on. Well, maybe it ain't our season. Come on now. Hello, you know what I'm talking about. And God, He said, wait a minute, I told you this a few weeks ago. Luke's going to record it one day and it's going to be in the 11th chapter. He's going to tell you about, he's going to tell you about the friend coming to your house that you're not getting it. And so let me tell you another little story about prayer. He said there was a judge who did not fear man nor God. But there was a little woman, a frail, insignificant, no-named individual that, that come to him and said, Judge, I've got a problem. He said, forget it. I'm not going to help you with it. And the next day, she's back in the courtroom. And the next day, she's back in the courtroom. And the next day, she's back in the courtroom. And the next day, and it's raining one day, and he says, oh, she ain't going to show up. And she walks in dripping wet. And then one day, it's real cold, and he said, oh, that little pest ain't going to show up today. It's going to freeze her out. And he looked out there, and here she was in her little shawl. And she was there again. And it got to grating on him. And it got to worrying him. And it got to why I mean, it just grinded on his nerves. I can't, man, everywhere I look, I see her. Everywhere I go, I see her. I can't get away from her. She, she's become a nightmare. I go to sleep and all I can see is that woman, that woman, that woman, that woman. She just, I need my answer. 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 And then he said, and then he said, you know what happened? That judge said, you know what? I don't fear God and I don't fear man, but because she continually I'm going to do this. I know I don't want to. I know it's against what I want. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know what? God was trying to teach you something. There's a lesson to learn. You're going to get your answer the day desperation comes to town. 
you're gonna, you can't play patty cake or footsie with God and get anything. But when you get down to business and say, God, I want it. I've got to have it. I can't live without it. It's got to be now. Oh, God, I worship you. I praise you for it. I thank you for it. I lift you up and I worship you. I know you're able. You may not want to do it, but I know you will. A friend of mine talked to me the other day. He said, he said, you know, he said a lot of times we, 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 uh, we know God can do things. He said, but, but do we know how to get him to do it? I tell you, I know how to get him to do it. You got to keep believing. You got to keep asking. But you got to do it in the right manner. You don't just walk in and say, hey God, give me this. And it don't happen the next day. Hey, God, give me this. And it don't happen. And then you come back. Hey, God, I said give me this. It don't work that way. You walk in and you say, Jesus, oh, wonderful God, you're worthy and you're holy. And God, I need you to have favor upon me. I need your love. I need your mercy. God, put your fingerprints on my life. God, let your will be done in my heart. And while you're at it, God, while I'm moving for this, I really need it, God. And God, if you never do it, I still praise you. I still worship you. I still love you. I'm still going to be here. I've got to be faithful. We say, if God loved me so much, preacher, and if God really wants to do, he said he'd delight in giving his children good gifts. And if God really wants to do all these things for me, why then does he not just do it, Johnny, on the spot? You ever seen a kid that got everything they wanted? You know what they turn out to be? Huh? Spoiled, rotten brats. Nobody wants to be around them. Come on. Everywhere they go, they're holy terrors. And that's the way we would become if every time we hollered, Oh God! Before we could get it out, it was already in our lap. You know why kids become small, rotten little snot boxes? It's because they never learn to appreciate anything. Because they never have to deal with no. And when they learn that there's a limitation. And no. And then all of a sudden. They turn the charm on. And I'll do anything. I love you. Yeah. You always know when they want something. They bring you something. Oh, uh, I need my shoes. Oh, Daddy, I'll get them. Sure, wish I. Ah, oh, you want something to drink? Yeah, I got it. And you look at him and say, What do you want? He said, Daddy, 
if it wouldn't be a problem, would you please? I mean, you're the greatest daddy in the world. You know what happens? Invariably, the answer is going to be, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. You know why? Because there was praise, some love, some accolades, some reverence, some respect. It all went into the question. It wasn't just a little snot-nosed brat running in the living room saying, I want this! Give me! Now! I'm going to get on the floor and fuck! You can fuck! But that was a whole different approach. That was a whole different approach. And you want to grab that little kid down there flaying his arms and legs in the store, screaming and hollering. You want to just pick him up by his ankle, just drag him off through the curb, bounce, 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 throw him in the back seat and beat the ever-living tar out of him. That's what you want to do. You sure don't want to turn around and buy them little chicklets. That he's screaming and hollering, kicking and snorting for. I could tell a lot of stories. But I won't. All I can tell you is this. When you got a mom and daddy like I had a mom and daddy, you pull that stunt one time. And you learn real quick. It ain't going to get you chicklets. But you're going to be colored up like they are. Black and blue from the top of my head to the sole of my shoe. But when you come to them in a right manner. And that's what God was trying to teach. In Luke the 11th chapter. In Luke the 18th chapter. There's got to be a right approach to God. Listen, that's what pre-service prayer is all about. You can't just walk out of the slum of this world with all that stench and that filth and that garbage of society hanging on you and just barge into the palace of the king. When you were dating that little sweet darling angel of yours and you had worked hard all day out in the slough and the swamp had mud all the way from your eyeballs to your toes. Amen. You didn't just go up there and give her a big hug. She'd have slapped your jaws. She'd say, get your nasty stinging stuff away from me and go clean up. You know what you did? You went and got on some clean clothes and you took your bath. You put some of that, that hot out of perfume on and you come saddling up there next to her and you started telling her how pretty she was and how much you loved her. Yeah. It's only after you've been married a long time. That you start stop caring how you look. And how you smell. Come on now. This is turning right into a regular marriage retreat. 
But when you cordon, whoo, yeah, you want to do it right. And when you when you out here in this world and you got all this garbage on you, you've been out there and you heard them telling dirty jokes. You've been out there and maybe you've told a few dirty jokes. And, and, and you've been out there and you've heard some bad words going on. And you went through the drive-thru and you ordered a number one and they, they can never understand what you're trying to say. And they, they always wind up giving you number three with extra pickles or something, you know, in place of what you want to order. And it just don't ever come out right. And you, your temper's turn kind of got up. Yeah, and your wife burnt the biscuits. Yeah. And she wasn't ready on time for you to leave church. And you're late. Nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kids got an ever mud puddle. And, yeah. and then you just come into the presence of God like, Okay, God, here I am. And he's like, wait a minute. You don't come into my royal palace that way. You've got mud on your shoes. Get out of here. Come on. This is the royal court of God. There's a right approach. That's the reason psalmists would say, I will enter into his gates. With thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Why? Because praise is that sweet incense that goes up and becomes a sweet savor in the nostril of God. We want that perfume of praise to be on us. We want that aroma of worship and adoration to surround us that way when we come into the house and in the presence of God. That's what pre-service prayer is all about. It's coming and changing out of those filthy garments of the flesh and saying, God, I'm unclean. I'm dirty, but let me put on some new garments. I want to come in and serenade you. I want to come in and praise you. I want to worship you. I want to lift you up. That's the reason. That's the reason you can't worship God when you know you have sin in your life. It's because you know you're unclean. You know you're filthy. And you know you cannot lift up holy hands in the presence of a holy God. Oh, that's the reason. That's the reason when Joshua called them all before him and they come and he said, he said, worship God. He brought them individually, man by man. He said, worship God. Worship God. And when they came to Achan, he said, Achan, worship God. And Achan said, I can't worship God. I've got sin in here. And I'm telling you, when you when people come to the house of God and they claim to have the Holy Ghost and they can't find a place in that living for God to worship Him and to praise Him and you come service after service and you can't ever find that strength to give God praise. It's not because you don't love God. It's because you know you're not living right. That's the reason if everybody's shouting, it's easy to blend with the crowd. Yeah. 
But when nobody else is shouting, we can never be the starter. We have to wait for somebody else to do it. So that we can just kind of get into the atmosphere or, or we, we gather around the, the perimeter. And everybody else is trying to get in the presence of God, but it's so easy if we're not careful to get out here on the edges. And all of a sudden at worship time, there's, it just happens there's something so important i got to tell my brother. Oh, brother, did you see what happened today? It rained. You say, why? why? What are you talking about? It's nothing important. All it is is an excuse for why I'm not up here giving God my everything. It's camouflage pain on my life because I don't want everybody to know I've got a problem. I've got sin. I've got things in my life that I won't turn loose of. I've I got, I got attitudes and bitterness and hatred and strife in my life. I've got unforgiveness and rebellion in my spirit. And so i got to blend in with the fringes. I don't want to appear that I'm not in church. But yet at the same time, I know I'm not right with God. So I cannot get in His presence. You're going to read the story of David and Absalom and you'll find that after David invited him to come back, the Bible says he was in the city for two full years and he never saw the king's face. Why? Because he was sitting at the gate trying to undercut and underthrow the throne of David. He was not interested in getting in the presence of the king and coming to that place of reverence. Because it was such an awe and an honor to go before the king that they would bow themselves and they would come in with their face to the crown and they would humble themselves before the king because he represented the high deity of their day. And Absalom was not there to give worship to the king. He was there to steal worship from the king. And when we come to the house of God night after night and service after service and we can never find Paul's in our life to step out from the ranks of the perimeter crowd and get into the center of what God's doing, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. Preacher, you saying I don't love God? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have a high respect for God because you know that what you're doing is not right and therefore you will not come and prostitute yourself to God and the world. But there's got to be a decision made. This church is going to have revival. This church is going to another level. I am not one that wants to amputate the body. I am not one that says you're not worthy to get out. You're not worthy to get out. That's not my mentality. My mentality says uh, let's embrace all. Uh, let's love all. Uh, because I don't want somebody carving me out of the kingdom of God. Uh, but the bottom line is uh, if you're going to be a part of this, uh, you've got to do it God's way. It's hard to worship God when you know you're not paying your tithe right. You know that. Therefore, you can never get beyond that little, little, little line that you've drawn because you can't cross over that. 
Because God's pulling us here. The deep's calling to the deep. But yet we're tied down to something back here. You cannot get into that place and that level of worship with God if you're more interested in beautifying this flesh rather than beautifying the Spirit. If you're more interested in what your neighbor's going to think, how you look and how you act, more than what God says, there's a problem. The turning point in your life. I'm preaching to somebody right now. The turning point in your life is before you tonight. All you simply have to do is turn loose of what the thing that devil has painted so big in your world. The enemy has said it's too large, it's too great of a sacrifice, it's impossible. And God is saying if you'll just slide that out of the way, if you will disconnect yourself from that, and you will enter into my presence, it's in my presence there's fullness of joy. It's in my presence there's pleasures forevermore. You're not going to enjoy this pleasure, but only for a season. I have a friend who pastors a rather large church. and I preached several revivals for him. We've had a lot of people get the Holy Ghost in that church. And there was a man and a woman in that church and they started a business. And they were doing extremely well in their business. They were millionaires. And they made a lot of money. And, and they gave a lot of money to the church. But never one time did they ever pay tithe. They'd give an offering here and they'd give an offering there. If there was a need and they, they heard about it, they'd give a special offering. But they never paid tithe. And I know personally many times that that pastor went and he sat down with those people and he talked to them and he said, look, you don't understand. And they said, but you don't understand. It's such a large amount of money that flows through our business and that it's just astronomical and there's no way we can pay tithes on all of this because, and they had some, you know, excuse for it all. And, and, so, and so anyway, they, they, they said, if there's a need, we'll give. And if you ever need anything, just ask us and we've got the money. But they never saw it paying 10% across the top. They just didn't believe that. And so I was there and preached several revivals in and out different times through the years. And the last time I was there, I looked around and that couple wasn't there. I asked him, I said, what happened to the couple? He said, brother, they lost everything. He said, they don't have nothing. 
This was in the process of about four or five years. They went from nothing. God took them up a great, great mountain of wealth. But they never could get the concept of putting God first. And it didn't take long. They don't have their business anymore. They had all kinds of gadgets and toys and you name it, they had it. They've lost all of it. They down to just a mere little small house and just an old car. And they depend on their sons to provide for them to even make it in this life. Brother, Merritt, I didn't know all of this was going on when I was there in revival. But I preached many, many nights. Everybody would worship. This family never could worship God. They never could go into that place with God. And now I know why. They had things that they wouldn't surrender to God. And when you don't surrender to God, you can never enter completely into His presence. You see, church, I, I'm totally different. I'm not here to get you to huck and buck and go through the juke and the jive. Because anybody can do that. And we learn that kind of behavior and we know how to do it. What I want us to do is go beyond that. And go into the presence of God Almighty. Because it's when we get into His presence that our prayers begin to be answered. That we begin to see the benefits and the glory of God. And there's a right way to come to Him. Divorce yourself from all of your problems. Divorce yourself from all of the issues. And you come to God. That's the reason he said come boldly before the throne room of grace. The reason you can, the way you come boldly is you know that you're coming with a bold love to him. And nothing has darkened or dampened or clouded your relationship with him. Therefore you can come boldly before God. That's the reason a lot of times we so cowardly filter to the perimeter. It's because we know there's things and when we get into the presence of God they're going to be revealed. Nothing is hid from God. Nothing is hid from God. And tonight there's people here dabbling and playing around with things. It's not hid from God. Nine times out of ten it's not even hid from the preacher. The pastor. He knows. Most of the time he knows what's holding individuals back. But he's giving you time and he's giving you space to recognize it's not worth it. Kidding in the presence of God is all that really matters. I've got to get in the house of God. The psalmist said, My help cometh from the Lord, 
My help cometh from his sanctuary. He said, my foot almost slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But when I entered in to the sanctuary, it was then that I saw clearly. It was then that I got my head on straight. Let's raise our hands all over this building. Give it all, give it all, give it all to Jesus. Your shattered dreams, your wounded hearts, your aching toes. Give it all, give it all, give it all to Jesus. And he will turn your sorrows into joy. He said he gave me beauty for ashes. <laughs> Out of weaknesses, I have been made strong. Halabasonto <laughs> yalabaha. Let's stand all over the building. Oh, lo moteye lo santoro moriataka. Your pastors already quoted it, but Psalms 34 and 1 said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What takes a church from ordinary to exceptional is how we come into presence of the Lord if we come in casually if we come in nonchalantly if we come in carelessly we will reap half-hearted efforts but if we come in with diligence and desperation and determination we reap the favor of heaven I want everybody to pray right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel a heavy anointing of God. I feel a heavenly brush of the angel wings.
I want everybody praying right now. I want everybody to pray. I want everybody in the building praying right now. I'm asking everybody to pray. I'm asking everybody to pray right now. I don't want nobody looking around. Everybody praying. Everybody praying right now. Everybody praying. The Holy Ghost is talking to some individuals right now. The Holy Ghost is talking to some individuals right now. You've let barriers, you've let walls be erected in your life. You've let situations divert your attention from the love of God. You've let issues, problems, circumstances separate you from the presence of Almighty God. I feel the Holy Ghost tugging on lives right now. I'm wondering if there's anybody in this building that's willing to step out and say, God, I give you everything. I give you all. I feel strongly God's pulling on somebody tonight. The presence of God is so rich in this house. I wouldn't want to walk out without making a decision that I was comfortable with and facing God Almighty. We're not promised tomorrow. Every man is promised a chance. I feel a strong pull of the Holy Ghost like I haven't felt in such a long time. I feel like God's given somebody an invitation. I don't know how many times that you as an individual have felt the tug of God and turned Him away. I don't know how many times that you have come and you've told God you were going to live for Him only to walk out and not return. But I feel something so strong in this house tonight. I feel like there's some people in this house that you've let issues and things get between you and God. And it's high time tonight, my friend, to push those out of the way and march yourself to Jesus. I'm calling on every one of us, everybody in this house, to gather around this front. I want everybody in this building to come. Don't make it hard on this preacher. I want everybody in this building to come and pray. I feel like we all need a revelation and a renewal of repentance. We humble ourselves tonight in this house. And we give God our everything. Everybody in the building, I want you to come. I want everybody to come. I want us all to pray. Come on. Come on, church. Come on, brothers. Come on, sisters. Come on, home folk. Come on, guests. Everybody in this building needs to find a place to seek the face of God. Everybody in this building needs to find a place to pour out everything that has separated you from the presence of God Almighty. God, I want to enter into your presence the right way. I'm coming, God. I'm humbling myself, God. I'm beseeching you. I need your mercy. I need your grace. 
Brothers and sisters, don't be satisfied with the normal. Don't be satisfied with the shallow, the superficial. But I'm challenging each and every one of us to plunge to the depth of God's mercy tonight. Come on, we need a touch of heaven in our lives. Come on, sisters. Come on, brothers. Come on, come on, come on. Let tears flow. 